your one-stop shop for the stories, secrets, and shenanigans of a popcorn-fueled theme park journalist. I'm Carly Wiesel, and I feel like I just gave birth to a podcast again beyond launching this podcast because this is our long-awaited, hyper-detailed Walt Disney World Resort guide episode. We are wrapping up Guide Gist with the biggest celebration of all and a reminder to me that, oh yeah, that's why I have this job because there is so much to talk about. I have done my best in this episode to streamline things, but still, it by no means includes every detail that you may want to know before visiting Walt Disney World. It is more of a solid, a rock solid primer with a ton of tips, a ton of things you would probably struggle to find otherwise that will set you up for success on your trip. But if you're a freak like me, there's always way more to dive into. You can always check out my Instagram. I have a hashtag Carly's Disney guides through there where you can find a lot of other smaller guides for smaller things within the parks. But this episode, whether you've been to Walt Disney World before, whether you've never been, whether you think like eh, Mickey Mouse is going to be serving you breakfast each and every day, this has it all. This will set you up for success. And I am so happy to share it. I want to mention that because this episode is uh, such a production, we will not have Churro's hotline calls in this episode. I know it's a total bummer. I'm really sad about it too. We got some great ones in the past few weeks that I really wanted to answer, but we just need to focus on Walt Disney World, especially because we may have new friends here joining us for the very first time on Very Amusing to learn everything before their Disney World trip. If that applies to you, welcome. I'm so happy to have you here. I'm happy to carry you through your Orlando journey. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to keep babbling. I'm not going to keep you from it. We are going to get right into this very special dedicated Disney World episode. And hopefully by the end, your vacation will be 10,000 times greater than it could have been without it. That's it. That's all I got. Okay. I'll turn it over to future me to talk to you about the parks. See you soon. Welcome back to our doozy of a Walt Disney World episode. Walt Disney World is a unique place where simply having more knowledge about how this resort works means that you will have an advantage over other people visiting. The more you learn through this podcast, TikToks, blog posts, all of which are free, the more you will be able to succeed here and the better trip you're going to have. It's confusing, and you do not want to figure it out the day of once you arrive, which is why I and this episode are here for you. And we are also shielding you from the absolute mania of Genie Plus until later in today's episode. You're welcome. What you need to know about visiting Walt Disney World, the crown jewel in the Disney parks and resorts portfolio, is that this is not a relaxing vacation. It is active. It is draining. It is hot. It is hard. But it is worth it in the end. Because if you lean in to do it all and take some breaks, which is very important, you will truly do it all. And time will begin to suspend itself. There's this magic thing that happens there where this entire resort was created with the properties that Disney owns to cultivate magic. But a true magic happens when you are there. Because if you do it right, by day three, you feel like you've been there for two weeks and you will make so many memories within a matter of days that you won't even be able to fathom it. A lot of you listening have probably been to Walt Disney World before, but because everything is different and constantly changing, we are going to take it back to basics first within this episode. Most importantly, what you need to know about Disney World is that this place is huge. 
we got four gigantic theme parks, two water parks, a Disney Springs Entertainment and Dining District, dozens of hotels, endless experiences, and so much more scattered across 40 square miles. I'm sorry, over 40 square miles. That's how big this is. So no, things are not really generally walking distance. And even the individual theme parks seem much, much bigger compared to Disneyland and Disney California Adventure. Because they are. But the flip side of this is that Disney World is what I like to call the big show. It is really the centerpiece of what the Walt Disney Company can do, what film properties they have, and what an ultimate vacation destination looks like. There's also a lot you want to know before you come here. So no matter where you are in that journey, we're going to make sure you have a wonderful vacation. This episode is intended to last a while, I pray, and I will likely be updating it going forward. But if you're just tuning in, Walt Disney World is currently celebrating its 50th anniversary, which ends at the very end of March in 2023. We are also publishing this episode prior to D23 Expo 2022, so there may be news that comes out, including opening dates for an attraction like Tron and Magic Kingdom at Walt Disney World, the new roller coaster, as well as other things that we do not know yet. So please keep that in mind if you are listening to this before it has been updated. Another thing I want to flag, which we will talk at length about, is that FastPass Plus is no longer in operation here. We now use Disney Genie Plus and Individual Lightning Lane. Disney also, because of that, now operates on an early morning system. If you want to maximize what you do, you have to wake up early. If you want to maximize the amount you've already spent, your sunken costs, you have to wake up early. It puts people coming from the West Coast, like me, at a disadvantage. But in the end of the day, if you want to make the most of your trip, you're probably going to have to wake up early. With that said, sit back, take it all in, and get ready as we embark on a journey to the most magical place on Earth. The majority of our listeners have a base knowledge of Walt Disney World, I'm sure, but I'm going to break down the four theme parks they have to bring everyone up to speed. When you think of Walt Disney World, Magic Kingdom is the park you are thinking of. Fantasyland, Adventureland, Tomorrowland, this is the stuff Magic Kingdom is known for. Iconic classic rides like Haunted Mansion, Pirates of the Caribbean, Peter Pan, they're all jam-packed into this park along with a few coasters like Big Thunder Mountain Railroad and Space Mountain, and a few fan-favorite glimpses into its retro past with Carousel of Progress and the Tomorrowland Transit Authority People Mover. You'll find the biggest concentration of attractions here of any park, particularly family-friendly ones, as well as experiences themed to princesses like Snow White, Ariel, Belle, and Cinderella. Her massive castle is, after all, at the center of the park and lit up at night with projections and Disney World's centerpiece fireworks show, which is currently Disney Enchantment. Magic Kingdom is the quintessential Disney park, but if you're a big Disney fan or simply want to have a good time, Epcot is the place to be. Having grown out of its former reputation of being focused solely on edutainment, yes, the cross-section between education and entertainment, the addition of newer attractions themed to Frozen and Ratatouille, as well as one of the best coasters Disney has ever made, Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind, has solidified it anew. It's still in um, a bit of a cosmetic overhaul, the kindest way I can put the literal pit in its center that's still there. But between the pavilions and the mile or so wide world showcase to everything else that you can experience here, including classic gems like the seas, a massive aquarium, as well as Circle Vision 360 films, this place packs the best doses of nostalgia you can find around with some of Disney's most tech-savvy attractions. These days, Disney's Hollywood Studios is 
perhaps the best example of what Walt Disney World is now, though. Blending thematic ideas from the past, like old Hollywood, with timeless projects from their most valuable franchises. Hollywood Studios itself recently underwent a massive overhaul when it added Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, the Star Wars-themed theme park land, as well as Toy Story Land in the year prior. But you'll also find Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway, the first ever ride themed to our main mouse that will eventually open at Disneyland as well. And then there's Animal Kingdom, the most unique park Disney has here in Florida. It's a triumph and packed with experiences honoring different regions of the world, thanks to world-class Imagineer and designer Joe Rohde. They've got Everything from Expedition Everest, a roller coaster themed to the Himalayan mountain region, to an entire land themed to the film Avatar, which, thanks to Rhodey, somehow remains excellent. It's not a zoo, per se, but you'll still get your fill of up-close interactions with animals, either on their brilliant Kilimanjaro safaris or simply while walking the grounds of the park. Despite having such scenic outdoors, there are also some really great indoor stage shows as well, offering quite the unexpected spectrum of experiences. We will dive deeper into all of these rides and what to prioritize and how to get on board when we discuss Genie Plus later in this episode, but I just wanted to touch on attractions and entertainment up top to catch everyone up to speed. From Mickey's Magical Friendship Fair Castle Show at Magic Kingdom, to Festival of the Lion King, an energetic retelling of the film's story at Animal Kingdom, to Indiana Jones' epic stunt spectacular, which has been running for a shocking 33 years at Disney's Hollywood Studios. Can you believe that? There is plenty to see and do across all four theme parks. And yes, that includes my beloved Kite Tales at Animal Kingdom, which now runs throughout the day every day. While Disney World is a bit slim on parades at the moment, but there are still a few. Magic Kingdom's Festival of Fantasy Parade is the biggest and debatably the best ever because of its fire-breathing Maleficent float, though they also have a Mickey Celebration Cavalcade, which is basically like a teeny tiny parade where you can wave at all your favorite characters breezing by on floats. One of my favorites, however, are the flotillas in Animal Kingdom that bring around this rotating crop of characters throughout the waterways of the park often throughout the day. It's, I don't know, always a fun surprise to see Minnie Mouse or Pocahontas just head on by, as well as live musicians playing. If you want to see characters up close, that's no problem either. You are able to hug characters once again at Walt Disney World, too. You'll encounter princesses, Mickey and friends in different fun costumes, even Olaf and Vanellope and Sully and Winnie the Pooh, if you'd like. And when the sun sets, prepare for some big shows as Disney is known for their nighttime entertainment. There is a possibility some of this could change or even be rescheduled for different times in 2023, so just check the Disney World website to confirm availability and what time each show is at. From Magic Kingdom's Enchantment Fireworks with projections on the castle, Epcot's Harmonious, a rousing nighttime lagoon show with water effects and visual projections and an international soundtrack that fans are really digging, Disney Movie Magic and Wonderful World of Animation at Disney's Hollywood Studios, where Fantasmic, a version of Disneyland's incredible nighttime show, is poised to return in 2022, and Animal Kingdom's stirring projections on its centerpiece, Tree of Life. You do not need to be inside Magic Kingdom to watch those fireworks either. Preferred places to see it are at Grand Floridian, out on the dock, or even by Gasparilla Island Grill. Or for me, personally, one of my favorite places to see it is to get away from the chaos in the park and watch from the beach of Polynesian Village Resort. Which is free, by the way. It's totally free. 
There are also fireworks packages available for an upsell for better views with reserved spots inside the park with park admission, of course, or outside the park, like a party at California Grill at Disney's Contemporary Resort, which is up on the roof and you have a top-down view, or a fireworks cruise out on Bay Lake. But how can you see the rest of it? How can you do everything you want to do at Walt Disney World? Yes, we are about to talk admission. You can visit a single park per day or purchase park hopper admission to visit multiple parks in one day. There are these add-on versions like Water Park and Sports or Park Hopper Plus, which basically just low-key include visits to water parks and mini golf and things like that. Personally, I'm spending too much time at the core theme parks to worry about those, but do as you wish. Park hopping is totally optional and depends on how you plan to chop up your visit. But I do personally prefer the freedom of bopping around and returning to experiences later in the day that I enjoyed earlier in my trip. Keep in mind, however, that park hopping is not as you wish like it used to be. You can only visit a second park after 2 p.m. each day, a policy that regulars like me find deeply frustrating. You'll harness all of that information within the My Disney Experience platform, which we'll give you a short break about until we actually get there in this episode. But there are also late night ticketed events you'll want to know about. The main ones you need to know specifically are Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party in the Halloween season and Mickey's Very Merry Christmas Party, you guessed it, in the holiday season. These fan-favorite events offer themed treats, entertainment, special character appearances, parades, fireworks, and even more, and cost around the same price as a regular day ticket. They're not essential, but if you want to do something a little special or just Tip your cap to the season with either one. They are always a good time. There's also oodles of extras that you can splurge for that we simply don't have time to discuss here at length. But you can buy your child a royal makeover at Bibbidi Bobbidi Boutique, get their first haircut at Magic Kingdom's Harmony Barbershop, and so many more. There are plenty of early morning jogging paths at the hotels. I mean, that one's free, but there's lots of stuff going on. Play areas within the parks for kids, also free. I don't know why. Some of them are free. There's just a lot of stuff to do. And a late night piano bar jelly rolls that is great for adults. You can see a Disney-inspired Cirque du Soleil show while eating a Mickey-shaped pretzel, catch Hanson playing a free concert inside of Epcot, or even celebrate Christmas alongside a celebrity narrator. From art exhibits hidden within Epcot's themed pavilions to a classic hootenanny that's been running for decades and decades at a hotel out in the woods, there are so many things to do here beyond just saying hello to Mickey Mouse. Everything is listed on Walt Disney World's website, so be sure to peruse all of that to see the full realm of activities available. Phew! And now that we're all kind of caught up on what to expect from Walt Disney World, we're going to get into the bulk of planning your trip. And the question of when to visit Walt Disney World can be tackled in a few different ways. The first, of course, is by season. The fall, October and November, namely, and the spring around March and April are long thought to be the best seasons weather-wise to visit. Peak hurricane season is mid-August through late October, so just be sure to keep that in mind. Either way, you're gonna encounter rain throughout the summer, but also possibly any time. You truly never know, so keep an umbrella or a poncho on you. But also, if you are braving the summer, this place is a literal swamp. The humidity is no joke, and it can be quite tough to bear. Still a lot of fun, but I'm just warning you about the heat. It's brutal. <laughs> then there are the crowd levels. 
An easy rule of thumb is that if you have the day off of work or school, it's probably going to be busy at Disney World. That includes holidays, summer vacation, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's. If rooms seem suspiciously high at a hotel you're circling, but it's not on any of those dates, there might be a secondary reason. So just double check through Google for the dates of major expos, cheerleading conferences, and marathons, things like that. And the third way to handle when to visit Disney World, besides season and crowds levels, is just to pick up your arms and frustratingly wave your hand at the whole thing. Because we are in a new era of theme parking, people. There was a time just a few years ago when Labor Day weekend would be dead, when they would have promotions to try to get people into the parks during quiet times. Quiet times! Those are long gone, both by design and demand following pandemic closures. But I promise Disney World is still worth visiting if you stick with me through this. Things do feel busy often now, however. Demand is high and Disney World has unprecedented control over where they send crowds due to the park reservation system. Just look at Epcot, who used to have seasonal food festivals and now essentially have permanent year-round fixtures. There's always something happening at Walt Disney World. But the flip side of that is that there's always something happening at Walt Disney World. So there's so much to see and you'll never really be bored. If you're left wondering, what should I do on each day of my trip? Well, step right up because the planning freak in me loves this part. But if that makes you feel like you are trapped underwater and can't break through, I am here to help you. Everything you're planning will be done within the My Disney Experience platform. You will hear about MDE way too many times once we get into Genie Plus or even throughout your trip. But this is essentially a gloriously wonky website that will, at some point, drive you nuts. Uh, it's part of the process. It's what being a Disney fan is. It's normal, but will be essential in your planning. And once you arrive to Disney World in its app format, you will use it throughout the day. People call the actual Disney World app My Disney Experience as well, but personally, my phone now lists the app as Disney World, so we'll just be calling it the Walt Disney World app going forward. It's the same thing, though. It's the same platform. You simply and I want you to listen to this, you simply cannot skip this step of setting up My Disney Experience for you and everyone in your traveling party. It is essential for your park reservations, admission, if you choose to use a magic band, using Genie Plus, all of it. Make sure your affairs are in order with this thing. Make sure when you arrive, everyone's account is linked and you're good to go. And it'll only yield more smooth sailing. In terms of planning, if your trip falls between August and December, the first thing I recommend you do is to check the dates of those Halloween and Christmas parties I mentioned. Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party and Mickey's Very Merry Christmas Party, Disney's separately ticketed holiday bonanzas. They occur on several nights each week between August and December. And whether or not you go to these, you will have to plan around them. Because for a few nights a week for nearly half the year, Magic Kingdom will close early. What does that mean for you, a day guest? Well, you will not be able to see their nighttime fireworks from inside the park with your admission. If you want to see Disney Enchantment, that main fireworks show, be sure you schedule a park reservation to Magic Kingdom or plan to park up there on a night when there is no holiday party. Personally, I find this to be such a weird wrench in planning for people with non-park hopper tickets that now because theme park Halloween starts before Labor Day... You'll pay the same to visit Magic Kingdom, and it'll constantly be closing hours early. But if you do plan around this, it'll be no issue at all. 
The flip side, naturally, is that if you do travel during these times, the parks will be decorated for Halloween, or most notably, during Christmas time when everything is just more magical. And I don't even celebrate the holiday, but I gotta tell you, things just look better in wintertime, especially in the hotels. The trees, the trees are beautiful. And if you want to go to the ticketed Halloween or Christmas parties, you absolutely should. Just know that tickets don't go on sale as early for those as they do for the actual parks, so you may need to hold out until you can actually buy them if you are planning your trip far in advance. Which, in the planning stage, brings us to park reservations. Before you take the plunge with picking your dates, buying airline tickets, booking a hotel, or really anything else, you simply must be sure there is theme park availability for the days you are looking at. To enter a Walt Disney World theme park, you will need admission, obviously, but you will also need a park reservation each day. If you have standard one-park admission, you'll pick where you're spending that day. And if you have park hopper admission, you'll pick where you'll be going until 2 p.m. You need this for each and every day of your trip, and you'll ideally want that locked and loaded first or as soon as possible. With Walt Disney World using their new Genie Plus system, which we will get into, you can't really plan too much of your trip in advance anymore. But I recommend deciding which attractions, experiences, and characters, or even fun specialty foods are most important to you before you go, and planning a loose daily itinerary from there. Having clear priorities makes it easier to hit what you want to hit each day and guarantees you'll do and eat and see what you want, even if you're overwhelmed by the options. Also, check refurbishment schedules before you go. Rides and select other experiences may be closed, and it's good to gauge those expectations before you arrive. In terms of scheduling, I never like to plan more than one sit-down meal per day because it really blocks your day in. We'll discuss where you should eat when we get to dining, but be selective because there are plenty of quick-service grab-and-go places to eat. Not everything needs to be a true restaurant or fine-dining experience. There are endless yummy things that are easy and simple to grab that you will enjoy. And plan for relaxation time. Listen to freaks like me, but also don't listen to freaks like me, because all of us who do this for a living are some top-tier level maniac who want to jam in 13 hours of activities in one day and will recommend the same to you. You, though, my friend, are there on vacation, so you deserve to carve out some sort of off time in this trip, because if you don't plan for it, it probably won't happen. Personally, I get the FOMO spins when I'm there. I'm like, I gotta be in the park. I gotta be on rides. What am I doing in this hotel? I gotta get out of here. And you should not be like me. (laughs) You simply should not, especially because I'm not beholden to smaller young people. And smaller young people, they need breaks. Also, small or larger older people, they also need breaks. You can plan a perfect trip on paper, and your kids might love nothing more than randomly meeting Pluto or, and this happens all the time, swimming in the hotel pool. So it is a-okay to chill. I'm here to tell you it's okay to take a little break from the parks and not plan everything so tightly. There's really no need to go sunrise to sunset. So always consider taking a little break in the parks, maybe watching a show bin day to get out of the sun, going to the parks later in the day, or if you are park hopping, to come back and swim and then bop to a different park before dinner. Before we get into hotels and dining and everything else and Genie Plus on this podcast, we are going to jump straight into logistical transportation planning, which is very important and has a bigger than expected impact on your trip and how you may plan it. 
We will begin with arriving in Orlando. If you are flying into town, you are likely landing at MCO or Orlando International Airport. Buckle up because there's a fun little people mover monorail right when you arrive. Uh, fans love it and you'll love it too. Disney's Magical Express, which you may or may not have heard of, the complimentary bus service that operated out of the bottom level of the airport and took Disney hotel guests to and from the resort, no longer is operational, which is a bummer because it made things really simple for Disney-bound families. You still do have a couple options here, generally speaking, for transportation to the Walt Disney World Resort area. There are still bus services, namely Mears Express and Sunshine Flyer. Mears actually is the transportation company that used to run Disney's Magical Express. Sunshine Flyer is a newer competitor, but both are honestly like exactly what you'd expect and take longer than a car to reach the resort since there are multiple stops, but are very convenient. They each charge per person. So note that if you have a larger family, you might find that it adds up, but this is still probably a preferred option for convenience for anyone wanting to book in advance, or especially if you would require multiple car seats and aren't traveling with them, which is not easy to find, generally speaking, with rideshare. Speaking of rideshare, you can get picked up by Lyft and Uber at MCO, but note that rideshare vehicles can take a little bit of time to arrive. There are, of course, cabs and private car services available through Mirrors, as well as Disney's minivan service, a themed upgraded rideshare run on the Lyft platform, which did previously offer airline travel. They would take you from Walt Disney World Resort to the airport, but that has not yet returned. It is convenient, it is fun, but it is costly, so just keep that in mind. And last but not least, there are car rentals. Personally, I have become a pro car person at Disney World. I absolutely love having my own vehicle there. It can get slightly complicated if you're park hopping, you park at one and then you travel to another, or if you're spending most of your time at Magic Kingdom, which we will get into, but I really love having the freedom to pick up a quick sandwich at Wawa, or breakfast, or a late night post-park snack, or even some of my favorite off-property foods like Gideon's Cookies at their original location, or Jeff's Bagel Run where eating them fresh and warm out of the oven is a gift. It is heaven on earth. My personal hack for booking car rentals here and everywhere is this website called autoslash.com. They're incredible. You put in all your information, then they spit out this email moments later that tells you the cheapest rental available for your dates. It's completely free, and the bookings all link through Priceline, so you don't even have to put a credit card down for your reservation. A heads up, if you need to mix and match your rental pickups and, I don't know, rent a card later in your trip or return something early, you don't necessarily have to go back to the airport. There is a car care center near Magic Kingdom that also operates car rentals in partnership with Alamo, Enterprise, and National. Once you are on property at Walt Disney World, you don't really need a car, though. And not just because there's now a Gideon's at Disney Springs and you can order Jeff's Bagel runoff delivery apps. I know we've emphasized the scale of Walt Disney World, but they truly have their own metropolitan mass transit system, which is one of the main perks of staying with Disney. If you don't want to be in a car here ever, you don't have to be, even if I will work my hardest to convince you that you do. Regardless, there is free and convenient transportation between all of Disney's theme parks for all guests, while Disney World hotels offer full transportation to and from theme parks, water parks, and Disney Springs across their Skyliner gondolas, boats, monorails, and buses. We will dive into the bus system and all of that deeper when we discuss hotels, so just put a pin in that for now. 
What you absolutely must remember, which I want to stress up front when we're not overloaded with information, is that strollers must be collapsed before boarding the Disney buses. Just remember that. Now, Disney hotel guests do have to pay for hotel parking, but they are given complimentary theme park parking. But if you are visiting a Disney hotel for a meal or a visit or just to explore and not staying overnight, parking will be free. If you are a regular old guest with a car planning to drive to Disney's theme parks, parking is $25 per day. There are parking lots at all four theme parks, but Magic Kingdoms is built differently. Well, Epcot, Hollywood Studios, and Animal Kingdom will see you parking outside of the main gate. At Magic Kingdom, you'll actually be parking at a separate location, the Ticket and Transportation Center, or TTC, where you'll take additional free transportation to actually get to the park. You're given the choice between the monorail and the ferry, and I honestly don't know which is faster. I tend to just choose it based on vibe. Sometimes you want the wind rustling through your hair. Sometimes you want to feel the retro goodness of taking a monorail. Totally up to you. Also, the TTC, which I believe I said ticket, but I think it's Ticketing and Transportation Center. As you can tell, we speak in acronyms among fans. The TTC has monorail access to both Magic Kingdom and Epcot. So if you're hopping between the two, you could totally park here and make it back after Epcot. No problemo. What I'll add, though, is that these parking lots can be large, very large. And trams, which take guests from the furthest back of the parking lot all the way to the front, have not yet returned to Epcot or Disney's Hollywood Studios at the time of recording this. So you could have quite a hike to get towards the front if you park. Disney does offer preferred parking for an additional fee, which mm, it's kind of, I I wouldn't pay for because I'm cheap, but it is there. Uh, and they also recently added a car locator feature within the Disney World app, which I do think is worth using. It's, it's free. It's within the app. My favorite way to get to the parks, however, is buy a car that I'm not driving. I find taking a Lyft or Uber, which are pretty low cost in this region, they're about like 8 to 15 bucks a trip, to be absolutely worth it. Here's the deal. The drop-off zones at Epcot, Disney's Hollywood Studios, Animal Kingdom are usually even closer to the front gates than Disney's own buses will get you. And it's especially beneficial at Epcot. For anyone familiar with Epcot, all bus and monorail transit drops off at the main entrance of Epcot, but the World Showcase, which you'll likely be spending a lot of time in, is far away from there and even has its own separate entrance where the Skyliner and some smaller boat transportation is located. If you want to leave from the World Showcase without hoofing it all the way to the front of the park, exit Epcot from that side and then take a five or so minute walk to Disney's Boardwalk Inn or Disney's Beach Club Hotel to grab a rideshare from there, which is so much faster. Just take note that the reverse of this, getting dropped off at those hotels to go to Epcot can be a little trickier since uh, the security booth, they may ask multiple follow-up questions if they're on to you and your park plans. There are also, as we mentioned, Disney minivans, which run on the Lyft platform. They cost much more than a regular Uber or Lyft, but are immensely helpful in two situations. One, when you need an accessible vehicle, car seats, or a mix of both. A standard minivan comes with two car seats, while accessible minivans have space for two wheelchairs and a car seat. The other reason you'll want to use a Disney minivan is if you want to get dropped at the front of Magic Kingdom, which can only be done with them. It is a pretty clutch move, I'm not going to lie. I've splurged on this when I was running late for fireworks, and it's the only reason I made it into the park to see them on time. Truly. But while you can't get dropped off at the Magic Kingdom in... 
a standard Uber, a regular Lyft, buy a friend, uh, buy a non-Disney bus. I'm going to choose my words carefully. You can get dropped off at a at a nearby hotel, perhaps one with walking paths or a monorail where the park is the next stop. No, I'm not going to recommend you do that. I'm just going to leave that out there as an option that you can kind of get dropped off. If you're not going straight to the park, you're just going to a hotel. You didn't hear it from me. I didn't say anything. I'm going to just float away from that conversation. But <laughs> uh, in, other, in other words about rideshare vehicles, I uh, don't want to get in trouble. Um, you should absolutely take a rideshare vehicle or drive if you have a car. If you are going from one Walt Disney World hotel to another Walt Disney World hotel, there is not much, essentially no hotel-to-hotel transportation, which makes sense because most people aren't doing that. So you might find yourself in a 90-minute long marathon to go by bus and boat and monorail to get between them, and it's just easier to take an Uber or a Lyft. Remember, if you have a car, diggists don't pay for parking at Disney hotels, so why not just drive? Why do I emphasize this so much? Because the main reason you'd be hopping between Disney hotels is naturally to eat. It's totally normal here to visit hotels you're not staying at because Disney World is basically just one big restaurant parade and you'll be tempted to visit as many of them as you can. No joke, a huge part of every Disney World vacation is thinking and dreaming about what you're going to eat because there is so much good stuff to eat stretched far beyond the theme parks and well into every corner of Walt Disney World Resort. We have already done a full standalone episode about dining called The Best Places to Eat at Walt Disney World, My Favorite Theme Park Restaurants. So we're not going to rehash all of that in this episode. I will, however, give you my top level essential restaurant recommendations. And we're going to talk further at length here about character dining than we did in that episode. If it's your first time here, you're traveling with a multi-generational group, or you have young kids, I personally do think character dining is kind of a must-do, especially if you happen to have the time. Multiple locations, including 1900 Park Fair and Akershus Banquet Hall, have not yet reopened, but character dining returns to Crystal Palace in the Magic Kingdom on September 20th, which is just a few weeks after this episode drops, and I personally do love that one. There are so many options to choose from. Don't choose Chef Mickey's. I think it's very depressing. But... There are others that are wonderful and unique, too. Be Our Guest is the only location you can see the beast at. You won't see the beast out in the park, so this is your only shot. But on the other hand, it does cost a pretty penny. And nothing is more special than dining inside Cinderella Castle with Cinderella herself if you really want to meet princesses. Not all restaurants are created equal, and that applies to character dining as well. If I was heading to a character meal with mostly adults, I'd probably choose the character meal at Topolino's Terrace at Disney's Riviera Resort Hotel, which is widely considered to have the best food of any of these options. Or... If you're willing to go elsewhere, the Four Seasons Resort Orlando at Walt Disney World Resort has the best character breakfast in town, hands down. The Good Morning Breakfast with Goofy and his pals is unreal. You not only see Disney characters, but the food is fantastic. It is so good. It is worth every penny. And it is definitely more of like a nice morning out. So I wouldn't cram it into a park day. It's like a special occasion. We are we don't have admission that day. We're doing this and it's the highlight of what we're doing. 
Other table service dining experiences I prefer that I want to highlight include Skipper Canteen, Via Napoli, Tiffin's, La Hacienda de San Angel, Chefs de France, along with more casual spots like Nomad Lounge, Quick Service in Epcot's Mexico Pavilion, Satuli Canteen, Docking Bay 7, and so many more. Again, there's a whole standalone episode from earlier this summer where I discuss everything I like, including these, at length. But I highly recommend heading there to listen to it all for every tidbit you need to know about where I get snacks, dessert, breakfast, lunch, and dinner across that resort. What I will add, though, are a few details and essential tips. First things first, getting a reservation to a restaurant these days is not easy. Do not be surprised if you cannot get one. Simply put, there's less availability for advanced dining reservations, and there's more competition to snap them up. Now that multiple third-party websites are offering alerts for when those coveted meals and time slots are opening. If you don't find what you're looking for, do not panic. Keep checking back early and often, especially closer to your trip. Within 24 hours tends to be kind of a sweet spot. There's also mobile dining walk-up availability, which allows you to squeeze in a tough-to-get restaurant reservation while on property. I admittedly have not used this here as much as I have at Disneyland at home where I use it often, but I found it to work really, really well on the West Coast. They offer it at tons and tons of restaurants at Disney World, but keep in mind that you have to physically be in the vicinity, which is kind of annoying if you want to go somewhere in Disney's Contemporary Resort. You don't happen to be physically there, but you can see what current standby waits are like within the app, even from afar, which can be very helpful. Better yet, it can be used everywhere from Cinderella's Royal Table and Be Our Guest in Magic Kingdom to restaurants throughout all the other theme parks. So don't give up. Don't give up. Check back often, even if it says the walk-up list is unavailable due to high demand, and you might get lucky. To activate this feature, open the Disney World app, click Check Dining Availability, then select Now under Search by Time, and you'll be added to the standby list. Disney also uses mobile ordering for quick service restaurants, which is official Disney lingo for kind of grab-and-go counter service style food. It makes it really easy to order in advance, save time, and also multitask while sitting around in line for rides, which I find to be very, very helpful. Another thing to flag, once again, hotels are not just a place to stay. This is truly where many of the best restaurants at Disney World are located. It is normal. It is recommended to visit hotels you are not staying at to dine in. Do not feel weird about it. We all do it. It's totally cool. We also don't even have the bandwidth in this episode to cover Disney Springs, Disney's free-to-enter dining and entertainment district. So it's a mall. It's a mall, but I'm not supposed to say it's a mall. It's a mall. Uh, but more than often, I'm there hanging out and eating my way through, especially on days I'm not spending as much time in the parks. I have an entire Eater guide map on Eater.com dedicated to where to eat there, as well as one dedicated for where to eat at the parks as a whole. Just Google my name, Disney and Eater, to find it. But to give you a little short list here, I love Wine Bar George. I love the Boathouse. I love Chicken Guy for Chicken Fingers the night of my arrival. Morimoto Asia is incredible. And of course, Gideon's Cookies. Once again, check out that whole dining episode. I'm linking to it in the show notes to know where I eat whenever I am at Walt Disney World. We are going to take a quick commercial break and we will be back with everything you need to know about Disney Hotels, Genie Plus, and so much more. Anyone who 
who's uttered the words Genie Plus knows firsthand that vacations require time, money, planning, energy. And if you put all that effort into enjoying your trip already, why not extend the highlights of that getaway into your everyday with FrameBridge? Put that vintage Epcot ticket up in your office and give it a little personality. Surprise your kid with their favorite character's autograph immortalized on the wall of their room. FrameBridge makes it so easy and affordable to custom frame any photo, park map, or even cocktail napkin from a theme park hotel bar in just minutes. You can mock up exactly what it'll look like on their website before you even spend a dime. Things ship fast and they ship for free, and their colorful custom framing means they'll not only help you plan your gallery wall, but make sure your place looks cooler than the interiors of that mid-century modern home within Spaceship Earth. I love the mementos I framed with FrameBridge so much that I rearranged my entire office so I can enjoy them daily. This is not a bit. This is this is true life. They're the backdrop to my podcast Zoom interviews, my Instagram stories, and even the goofy photos we take of Pearl tip-tapping away at my keyboard like she's a miniature employee. Too often, our favorite memories of a vacation are tucked inside our phone or shoved within a drawer. And it thrills me to no end that because of FrameBridge, I can finally be surrounded by my memories. FrameBridge makes custom framing easy, affordable, and enjoyable. And on top of that, their happiness guarantee ensures that no matter what, you'll wind up with something you love. To get started, head to FrameBridge.com, because your precious travel memories shouldn't have to stay in the past. That's FrameBridge.com. Welcome back. As much as I typically highlight every single little weird thing I like to do in these parks, we are going to focus on the real meat and potatoes of this meal, which is how, if, why, and what exactly is Disney Genie Plus. So let's get into it. Genie Plus is Disney's new and updated version of what was previously FastPass Plus. It costs $15 per person per day and grants you expedited entry into select attractions across Disney World's theme parks. You'll book an hour-long return window later in that day for a ride like Peter Pan and be able to enter that attraction through a shorter queue called the Lightning Lane. Don't let that name confuse you, though, because there are also separately booked individual Lightning Lane attractions. These rides are different and not included with the Genie Plus allotment. Generally speaking, individual Lightning Lane rides are the most in-demand ones in Walt Disney World, and pricing is reflected as such. Previously called a la carte attraction selections, if you're familiar with that lingo, these pay-per-ride rides generally cost between $8 and $15 per person per ride and do not overlap with Genie Plus attractions. Each guest can purchase two of these per person per day. Both Genie Plus and Individual Lightning Lane work across parks and with park hopping as well. Just keep in mind that you won't be able to book at the next park until that ride is offering return times at 2 p.m. or later when park hopping begins. This is a recently updated policy in case you have not heard of it yet. Now, if you're visiting Walt Disney World, you can buy Genie Plus, you can buy individual Lightning Lanes, you can buy both, or you can buy neither. You can buy them one day and buy nothing the next. They're separate, but all are booked through the Disney World app. That is why it's so important to have your accounts linked and ready to go when you're about to book. Because if they're not set, you're going to bungle your chances at getting on some of these rides. And time is money. So in a way, you're wasting your own money too. This is where things get intense. 
Genie Plus selection booking, which applies to the majority of rides you're going to go on at Disney World, begins at 7 a.m. each day for everyone. And that's not a casual 7 a.m., catch up with it later kind of deal. This is when you will want to book them at 7 a.m. sharp in order to get the best availability and as many return times as possible throughout the day. Individual Lightning Lane return time bookings begin at 7 a.m. as well, but only for Disney hotel guests. Everyone else can book return times when the park actually opens. So let's say, for example, Epcot is opening at 9 a.m. Disney hotel guests can book their individual Lightning Lane return times at 7 a.m. Everyone else can book for Epcot at 9 a.m. If Magic Kingdom opens at 8, those will be at 8. It doesn't matter if you've entered the park or not. I do need to emphasize, however, how integral this 7 a.m. action has become to a Walt Disney World vacation and how it's really taking away from what a vacation is supposed to be. Even if you don't want to be in the parks early, you still need to be up at 7 a.m. Eastern time, which is 4 a.m. in our bodies for West Coasters to get the most out of Genie Plus, but also out of your theme park day and the money you've already spent on admission and the cost of Genie Plus. Due to a recent change, also, you cannot buy Disney Genie Plus in advance. You need to buy it each day that you plan on using it. But note that sales begin at midnight, so booking it then can help save a few minutes in the morning, which is recommended because, again, this 7 a.m. drop is not a stress-free process. You can thankfully book it from wherever you are. You don't need to be at the front gates. But things go quickly. This 7 a.m. drop is exhausting. And if you're like me, traveling in, landing at night, waking up what feels like moments later to stress punch buttons to book rides with one eye open and one still crusted shut, it's not a good user experience. It is not vacation friendly. Vacation is for leisure, especially at these prices. Not for that feeling of panic waking because you think you've slept through an international conference call. I've ranted about this at length on my Disney Wish episode, so I won't rehash it. But if you want to hear more of my thoughts about this, I'm sending you there. Either way, regardless of what I feel about it, Disney World is a morning person's game now, and it is tiresome to say the least. I am appreciative that there is a system in place where you can skip lines and board things more quickly. But there's just so much to know and so much to wake up for. And on top of all of that, buying Genie Plus, using Genie Plus, booking individual Lightning Lane, those aren't the only things you'll have to do when your body would likely prefer to be asleep. On top of all this, if you want to ride whatever Disney's newest attraction is, you're likely going to have to book that also at 7 a.m. using a different process called Virtual Queue, a third entirely different system that I swear was designed to make my brain explode. Currently, at the time of recording, this Virtual Queue process is only in place for one attraction, Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind, the new Marvel-themed coaster at Epcot. Now, as frustrated as I am, I get why Virtual Queue exists. You really don't want people waiting in a six-hour line to get on the newest ride. But your only options for boarding are through individual Lightning Lane or Virtual Queue, which again makes that early morning 7 a.m. booking so important. Also, at the time of recording this, Tron's Light Cycle Run's opening date has not been shared either, so please double-check if Virtual Queue is in use prior to your Disney World vacation if you are listening to this episode further in the future. Simply put, Genie Plus and Individual Lightning Lane are optional, but they're also 
kind of not optional. On a day you're spending a lot of time in the park, it's inevitable that you're going to buy it. But I think a lot of the reason why you should get Genie Plus and why I recommend it is because it's a mental game, which is something we don't talk about very often. People have been tracking wait times at Disney World since the debut of Genie Plus and well before that. But the Is Genie Worth It Twitter account, at Is Genie Worth It, cites discrepancies between actual wait times and posted wait times on a daily basis. This week, this past week, you could have waited a bit under 15 minutes less on average than what was publicly posted. This is why I think Genie Plus is inevitable. It's an inevitable purchase because it's a mental thing. When you're using Genie Plus and you see a 35-minute wait time for Pirates of the Caribbean, you think, ah, I'm passing by the line. It's still a decent wait. But if the actual wait time is 20 minutes and this happens on, say, four attractions throughout the day, suddenly spending that much money for your family of five doesn't seem as worth it. But the flip side of that is more significant, I think. Anytime you don't use Disney Genie Plus and your family winds up stuck in a long line, which is inevitably going to happen, you're just going to think, I should have bought it. It was only 15 bucks a person. Why didn't I spend the 75 bucks for everyone? We just spent that on a stuffed animal and two magnets at the gift shop. That's why on top of getting more out of your day, getting more out of your admission and simply waiting in line less, which on certain rides can be hugely beneficial. It's almost kind of worth just getting Disney Genie Plus for the peace of mind of it all. Now, that doesn't mean you need to use everything every day, especially on a longer vacation. If you're there for a week, you can definitely take things slower. Get there really early, ride what you want, and head back to the pool before you come back at night to ride more rides. That's one way to skip big crowds. But if you're in Disney World for three, four days, if you don't have park hopper admission, if you're at Magic Kingdom for a single full day and need to squeeze as much juice out of it as possible, you need Disney Genie Plus. You need Lightning Lane. And at the end of the day, using the full array of tools available to you will only lead you to having more experiences. One thing we're leaving out of this conversation is that Disney Genie Plus is a paid product that has a free component to it, Disney Genie. Don't use Disney Genie. You've made it this far on the podcast. You're willing to learn. You're on the road to truth. Disney Genie, simply put, cannot be trusted. It's going to give you an array of either good or very bad recommendations. And personally, I would not stake my vacation on it. It was promised to be one thing, and what we have is not exactly what I would recommend. If I was going to the parks without Disney Genie Plus, I would still use the app features to see when they recommend you ride and when lines might be shorter. But beyond that, I would not turn my itinerary over to Disney Genie, the free product. Thankfully, the bigger question and why we're really here, what do I need to go on while I'm at these parks? What rides, what attractions should I do? Kind of overlaps with Genie Plus and individual Lightning Lane enabled attractions. So we will answer both at once. Sidebar, though, if you want to dive deeper into using Disney Genie Plus and all of its idiosyncrasies and tricks after this episode, I recommend you go back and listen to our All About Disney Genie Plus episode with Brooke McDonald from back in April. I'll link to it in the show notes, but this is essentially a 101 course. That is like 201 and 301. But if you listen to this and then that, if you listen to both of these, you'll be completely set up for success. 
So in terms of what to ride, how do I use Disney Genie Plus? How do I accomplish both of these things together? We will be talking about it. We'll be going through park by park, discussing the most in-demand rides and how you can most easily get on board. The way Disney Genie Plus works is that you can book a new attraction subject to availability throughout the day once you enter the ride queue for the one you've already booked or 120 minutes after you booked, whichever comes first. That's why you want to book the most in-demand rides first so you can get faster return times, keep booking more, and pack more into your day so you're not waiting around whenever possible. And once again, this is why it's helpful to know your main objectives and must-ride attractions before you arrive. Here's what I think you should preference, generally speaking, when you are selecting attractions with Genie Plus and Individual Lightning Lane. We'll start with Magic Kingdom, which has the highest concentration of Genie Plus rides, which is why it is a great choice to get Disney Genie Plus specifically for this park. There's also one individual Lightning Lane-enabled attraction, Seven Dwarves Mine Train, a fun and quick family mine train coaster featuring the characters from Snow White, which often clocks the longest queue in the park, so it's definitely worth the dough. If you're using Genie Plus here, I'd preference Jungle Cruise, which has strangely become one of the most in-demand attractions here, despite being a low-key classic slow boat ride, as well as Big Thunder Mountain Railroad, Splash Mountain in the Summertime, Peter Pan's Flight, and for the time being, Meet Mickey and Minnie at Town Square Theater. This meet and greet has become super popular recently because... You get to meet both of them in their 50th anniversary costumes, and it used to just be Mickey, so it's a super cute, probably limited time-only photo op. That said, I do adore nearly all the rides here. Space Mountain, Haunted Mansion, oh my gosh, all of which are popular, but because of the sheer density and amount of rides at Magic Kingdom, it kind of ends up where anyone using Genie Plus is spread out, so return times don't disappear as quickly here as they do at Disney World's other parks. Planning for Epcot is a bit of a doozy because of Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind. I know it can sound a little intense and we're going to get into the weeds with it, but this is the coaster to get on. It's Disney's newest and hottest ride, a lengthy indoor coaster with a rotating vehicle that has a backwards launch and packs a lot of punch. It is so, so much fun, if you don't have motion sickness, that is, but there are only two ways to get on board and neither involves simply standing in line. So listen up. The first and main way to get on Guardians of the Galaxy is through virtual queue, and there are two virtual queue drops each day, both of which are complimentary. This is free. The first is right at 7 a.m., for which you'll need an Epcot Park Pass reservation. If you do not get a return time at 7 a.m., it's basically a quick lotto. Try the virtual queue again at 1 p.m., which is the second drop of the day. An Epcot Park Pass reservation is still required for 1 p.m., but for this one, you also have to have already scanned into Epcot. The fine print on all of this, which isn't explicitly said, is that if you are park hopping into Epcot at 2 p.m., your odds of riding this can be slim because those virtual queue spots have probably been snapped up. So you will use option two, booking an individual lightning lane where you pay to use the expedited queue to ride more quickly. You can do this with any park reservation if you have a park hopper ticket. You'll just ride after 2 p.m. in that case, or with Epcot admission and an Epcot park reservation. You can even purchase individual Lightning Lane entry and have a virtual queue return time if you have an Epcot park reservation, which is kind of ideal since you'll want to ride it twice. 
As a reminder, individual Lightning Lane can be booked at 7 a.m. for Disney Resort hotel guests and at the time of park opening later in the morning for day guests. Again, there is no standby line. If you want to go on this exceptional attraction, you must use one of those options. Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind is the only individual Lightning Lane-enabled attraction at Epcot at the moment, but there are plenty of other rides at Epcot worth using Disney Genie Plus on. You'll want to preference the most in-demand rides first, which is why your first selection of the day, ideally at 7 a.m., should be Remy's Ratatouille Adventure. This is the second newest ride at Disney World and is super fun for all ages, since you ride around a little rat that scurries through scenes from the film Ratatouille. It's adorable. Your second choice, unless you are huge Frozen fans, should be Frozen Ever After. This short boat ride featuring Frozen characters and Elsa singing Let It Go is a perennial crowd favorite and also very popular. If you're not into that or just want to do something else, your top pick after Remy's Ratatouille Adventure should probably be Test Track. Use standby lines for things like Spaceship Earth, whose ride time dips later in the day when crowds disperse, and Living with the Land, a personal favorite whose wait is never that long. Disney's Hollywood Studios presents a specific challenge because there is no park at which Genie Plus rides disappear faster than here. Even if you buck up for Genie Plus and individual lightning lanes, you're still likely to wait it out in one of their top choice ride queues, so just keep that in mind. There's currently one individual Lightning Lane-enabled attraction, which is Star Wars Rise of the Resistance. It's one of the most popular rides in the park and at Disney World as a whole. It's fun for the whole family, but it usually boasts a very long standby queue. Another reason I recommend individual Lightning Lane for it, which I discussed on my Disneyland episode and Brooke shared during our Genie Plus episode, I believe, is because this ride can shut down often. And Having that individual lightning lane being able to return later in the day seamlessly is kind of an insurance plan, because if you stand by for an hour and it goes down, you got nothing to show for your time. Also, it's an excellent attraction. If you have not been on it, spend the money for it. You gotta go on. As for standard Genie Plus selections, choose Slinky Dog Dash first if it is your top priority. This Toy Story family coaster that's cute and thrilling enough for younger kids goes the quickest in terms of Hollywood Studios' ride allotments. If you're here for big thrills, however, Tower of Terror, a time-bending drop ride, is more likely to be your number one pick and should be. It goes more quickly than Rock and Roller Coaster, the other main thrill ride in indoor Aerosmith loop-de-loop, which can probably be selected later in the day without running out. Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway is the newest ride in the park, which puts you inside a Mickey Mouse cartoon and is absolutely worth going on, but they seem to have pretty good return times throughout the day, so it's no sweat. And if you're here for Star Wars experiences first and foremost, preference Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run after Slinky Dog Dash. But don't miss Toy Story Mania either, which is tons of fun for the whole family. And last but not least, we have Animal Kingdom. Your main objective here will be Avatar Flight of Passage. It's the park's only individual Lightning Lane ride at the moment and serves as one of the most beloved rides at Disney World. This large-scale simulation puts you on the back of a banshee and sees you flying among the creatures and Navi from the Avatar film, which even if you're not into that, is worth coughing up the money for at 7 a.m. or park opening, if it's still available, to skip the long, 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 long standby queue and experience it firsthand. Otherwise, for Genie Plus, 
you're chilling. Kick back, relax, and select whatever you want. Nothing goes too fast here, but that doesn't mean the rides aren't worth riding. Kilimanjaro Safaris is an unbelievable lengthy journey through the massive savannas and grounds of Animal Kingdom. They're packed with animals. (laughs) They're truly the closest you can get to a real safari without leaving the country, and it is excellent. Expedition Everest is a glorious coaster, one of Disney's best, that takes you through a Himalayan mountain range with a surprise something I'm not going to ruin and other delights. Both are worth riding and somewhat easy to get returns for, so it's not too stressful. People love Dinosaur, a ride I am scared of because dinosaurs pop out in the dark. Didn't know I was scared of that until I went on it, and now I know I am. But there's also Kali River Rapids, which is a great water ride in hot weather. Whatever you do, don't sleep on entertainment here, because with great shows like Festival of the Lion King and Finding Nemo, The Big Blue and Beyond, there is a lot to see. There's so much more to discuss in terms of Disney parks. We are only scratching the surface. But truly knowing the priorities for booking, knowing what you have to choose in order and how quickly things will go, will make your day so much easier to plan around and have fun with. Which brings me to our last and possibly most intense section, hotels. Usually on vacation, you're just choosing between a Marriott and a Hilton, but not here, my friend. Discussing Disney World hotels isn't just answering the question of where should I stay? It's where should I stay? How much should I spend? Should I stay on property? Will this affect my vacation positively or negatively? Does any of it matter? Why is this so hard? So I've got you. If you're frazzled, it's absolutely justified. And unlike a regular trip, Where you stay has extra impact on your vacation because your hotel will affect what transportation you use and what theme park benefits you get, among other things. So let's discuss what you do get by staying in one of Disney's dozens of themed hotel properties. There are a handful of small perks like being able to charge items to your room and utilizing your magic band to its full potential. And you'll also be able to squeak out early dining reservations up to 10 days earlier than other guests. A big reason people stay with Disney, as we discussed, is also transportation. When you stay at a Disney hotel, you're given easy bus, boat, gondola, and monorail transportation between all the theme parks and your hotel. Off-property hotels do offer transportation as well, but it's usually less frequent and way less convenient. While Disney basically runs their own major American city, and the transportation here is more reliable than most of them. The real worthwhile perks, though, come down to two things early access for Lightning Lane individual entry, and extra time within the theme parks. We already discussed that individual Lightning Lane perk. You can book at 7 a.m. Good morning, while other non-hotel guests have to wait for park opening. But Disney World hotel guests also get into the park earlier with early morning entry. Every Disney World guest is granted early entry to the park of their choosing a half an hour early each and every day, which is awesome. You'll need valid theme park admission and a theme park reservation to do so, but it's a great way to get a jump start on the day. If you want to utilize this, logistically, you're going to want to arrive much earlier than even that. Leave plenty of time for transportation, getting there and getting inside. But remember, this is a morning person's game, so if you're already up, you might as well go for it. Meanwhile, deluxe and deluxe villa hotel guests, aka guests at the nicest ones Disney's got, have one additional theme park benefit extended evening hours. These bonus hours are currently offered twice a week on Wednesdays at Magic Kingdom from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. and Mondays at Epcot from 9 p.m. to 11 p.m., which feature lower weights and easy access to rides. 
Keep in mind, there are a few stipulations you'll want to know about. This does open up a small can of worms for single park ticket holders because you do need a corresponding park reservation, even though it's once the parks have closed. And park hopper guests are all set as long as they had a different reservation or a reservation at Epcot or a different reservation elsewhere where they already entered the park that day. So basically, if you're a park hopper guest, you can't reserve Magic Kingdom, never show up, and then roll up to Epcot extended evening hours. Also... There's an entirely separate virtual queue drop for Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind for this one as well. It's 6 p.m. on applicable days. Again, it's a miracle this podcast is not 47 million hours long. As fun as those sound, benefits-wise, that's kind of all you're going to get as a reward for staying with Disney. And if the perks seem on the slimmer side, it's because they are. Disney used to offer many more advantages to their hotel guests, especially when staying with Disney meant booking your Fast Pass Plus 30 days earlier than regular day guests. There are still some small things missing from the Disney hotel experience, like Disney Dining Plan, which has not yet returned but is expected to, and complimentary Magic Bands, which can be purchased outright but admittedly have been eclipsed by smartphones anyway, so it's not that bad that you don't get them. But then there's Disney's Magical Express. We've discussed this, but this complimentary bus transportation provided to every hotel guest to and from the Orlando airport was discontinued by Disney at the start of the year, which means you'll likely be paying for two directions of transportation you didn't have to before. But more importantly, there's also no more luggage delivery service, which is almost more of a bummer and has been bumming me out for longer than Magical Express. Previously, you could check your luggage at your departure airport and your bags would magically appear in your room after you'd arrived on property. You'd skip the luggage carousel, you'd head straight to the bus, and you'd get your vacation off to a seamless start. Not only that, but you could also do it the reverse way, checking in for your flight at your hotel, checking your bags at your hotel, and you wouldn't see them again until you landed back at your home airport. It made it so much easier and more convenient to squeeze a bit more out of those first few and final hours of your vacation and was really something emblematic of that Disney magic. It's really a bummer because perks like these absolutely helped families justify the cost of staying on property at a Disney hotel and moreover deterred them from obtaining their own transportation and spending money outside the Disney bubble, which now people are kind of doing. It's reasons like this that I personally don't think it's essential to stay with Disney on your Walt Disney World trip. And if the Walt Disney Company has a problem with me publicly saying that, then they should stop devaluing their own hotel product. Because that's the reason I can no longer wholeheartedly recommend their hotels. Not only have they been cutting back on these perks for a few years, they've also been selling off the ones they do offer to non-Disney hotels nearby, allowing guests to often pay less to stay at a Wyndham or a Hilton equal access to the parks as Disney World's very own hotel guests. Remember those benefits I mentioned a few minutes ago as the main reason you would stay with Disney? That early theme park entry, that extended theme park hours at night for deluxe hotel guests? They're not as exclusive as they sound. In fact, over a dozen non-Disney operated hotels are also allowed to attend early theme park entry every single day. And a few of them are even allowed into those deluxe hotel hours, something not all Disney hotel guests even get to do. And on top of that, 
A couple hotels are even granted early access to book individual Lightning Lane, which is why one of my first choices on where to stay will always be the Walt Disney World Swan and Dolphin. This hotel resort complex is kind of like a Disney World hotel cousin. It's on Disney property, but not a truly Disney World operated hotel. It's kind of affiliated, kind of on its own, but gives you the best of both worlds. Essentially, the Swan and Dolphin are a set of Marriott Bonvoy eligible hotels walking distance from Epcot and Disney's Hollywood Studios. But if you don't want to hoof it, there's also a nice relaxing boat to both. It's ideal for escaping world showcase seamlessly after Harmonious or enjoying the ice cream shops and restaurants at the neighboring Disney hotels, which guests pay top dollar to stay at. They've even got the Swan Reserve, a swankier offering intended for business travelers that works brilliantly for adults-only trips, and as we mentioned, has nearly all the Disney hotel benefits. They're also the only non-Disney hotel that's walking distance to half of the theme parks and extremely well-priced, which is why I'm recommending them most often. Still, there are a few other non-Disney-operated hotels I adore, and my favorite, favorite, favorite place to stay remains the Four Seasons Resort Orlando at Walt Disney World Resort. Now, I say that knowing not everyone can swing a week-long stay at the nicest hotel in town. I get it. I can't either. I'd love to move in permanently, but I'm not staying there that often. But for the purpose of this podcast and recommendations sake, I must stress that this hotel is heaven on earth and kind of worth every penny. The amenities for kids are unreal. Their pools and lazy rivers and, and water activity are like a resort you would fly to an island for, but you also happen to have like Disney World right there. They also have the best Disney character breakfast. The food is incredible. It is, oh my God, it's a once in a lifetime place to stay. And they have so many of the Disney benefits that Disney hotel guests return for. Other places I've stayed and liked include the JW Marriott, which I booked for the Disney World theme park reopening week, and this place called the Grove Resort Orlando. It's quite random, but I stayed there a few years ago with my parents, and we loved it. We had our own rooms in this apartment-style condo, but the parking garage was designed so that you park outside of your hotel floor, which was so convenient, and it wasn't even that far from the parks. Keep that in mind, too. If you stay, quote-unquote, off property, you're likely to be close to the parks anyway. Four Seasons Resort Orlando is technically on property since it's located on Disney-owned land. But nothing's perfect. These hotels can and will have resort fees, which can really add up over the course of vacation, and their parking fees can run the gamut. But as much as I justify these hotels, I gotta admit, there's a certain je ne sais quoi about staying with Disney. There are plenty of hotels to choose from, but not all might be the best fit for you and your family. I've written, like, the Odyssey-length stories breaking down all the different hotels, but since I don't want this podcast to be the last thing you listen to until you grow into old age, we're going to break down my thoughts on them as swiftly as possible. But to start at the beginning, I just want to emphasize, even though I just told you all the reasons why I wouldn't stay with Disney, they keep pulling me back. There's an appeal, there's a charm, there's the magic of Disney baked into them. And frankly, I can't, I can't always resist that theming. I can't, I can't. 
Disney operates three tiers of hotels, value, moderate, and deluxe, with multiple hotels within each pricing category and a wide range of rooms to choose from, like movie-themed family suites and multiple types of cabins out in the woods. Within their deluxe category, certain rooms are categorized as club level, an upgrade which grants access to a concierge lounge with amenities and snacks and drinks, as well as a dedicated staff to assist with your trip. There are also Disney Vacation Club rooms and hotels, which are apartment style with little kitchens and often separate bedrooms that are intended for members of their timeshare-like program, but are open for all guests to book, subject to availability. But here, we're going to focus on the bulk of Disney lodging and what differs between categories. Generally speaking, moderate and deluxe hotels often have nicer amenities, better on-site dining options, and more to offer, while transportation really can vary among the three categories, but also specifically among hotels. Some value resorts can and will share buses, while moderate hotels can have interior bus loops, meaning you'll tack extra time onto your journey before you even depart for the parks. But the addition of Disney's Skyliner has somewhat leveled the playing field for some value and moderate hotels who are on that line, which we'll break down shortly. Keep in mind, Disney World has also been updating rooms across properties, so there's now this kind of baseline of lodging that's happening. You can expect to see wood floor paneling, minimal artwork, and more straightforward generic room design, for better or worse, in many Disney hotels among different tiers now, even in hotels that cost more than others. And do note that if occupancy is listed as five or six or eight, that doesn't always mean in a bed. There are a lot of fold-out couches, fold-out kids' beds, fold-out chairs even, which is great for younger ones. But when you put your dad on a pull-out couch in one of the nicest rooms at the resort because you didn't know there were only two beds, well, just heed my warning. The Copper Creek cabins really got me with that one. We'll start with the most affordable resorts and work our way up to the icons you know and love surrounding the Magic Kingdom. In the value category, we'll begin with the three all-star hotels. These are essentially motel-like, with individual buildings and larger-than-life set pieces, and can often be where large groups wind up staying for sports conferences and cheerleading competitions. Disney's Pop Century and Disney's Art of Animation are also value tier, but are more well-regarded, as they're now on the Skyliner gondola line, offering snazzier transportation to Epcot and Disney's Hollywood Studios. All have pools, none have table service restaurants, but the best in the category is Art of Animation, who is long known to have the best quick service, family suites themed to Lion King, Cars, Finding Nemo, and Little Mermaid, and the Big Blue Pool, the largest at Walt Disney World. There's also a full Cars-themed area that is so fun to walk around. It's like kind of a mini version of the park in Disney California Adventure, but of course, no attractions. Pop Century would like to compete as it has the new generic-y rooms and has larger rooms like AOA, but its actual hotel's decade-by-decade -decade theming is quite lame for anyone who has a TikTok login. Among moderates, the middle tier, we have a bunch of things. <laughs> Caribbean Beach and Coronado Springs are utterly sprawling. Hotels simply shouldn't be this big. They're the size of like the entire overnight camp I went to when I was a kid. But 
they do come with benefits that outweigh some of the negatives. Caribbean Beach is off the Skyliner line, which has made it look much more appealing than it used to, while Coronado Springs has Grand Destino Tower, which I generally choose to stay in more than anywhere else because the rooms are nicer than standard rooms, and by staying there, you're close to the bus, you're close to the lobby, and you're close to everything else. In this moderate tier, you're going to get a mix of quick service and table service restaurants, and there's just simply more going on. They're also sometimes used for conventions, so you might come downstairs and see hundreds of cheerleaders at Coronado Springs. There's just a lot of cheerleaders everywhere sometimes, and it just kind of keeps happening. Disney's Port Orleans is split into two separate individual resorts, French Quarter, which is cute and reminiscent of New Orleans, and Port Orleans Riverside, which I used to think was so delightful since there's a lot of waterfront views and I, I, it was pretty, but it's not only massive like some of the others we discussed, it has plantation-style mansion-shaped buildings, which no one has really discussed. Uh, I don't think the company has acknowledged it, but it just seems like not where I want to be staying at at this moment in time in our culture. I don't want to be the only person to raise a flag about it, but it just seems a little weird that these are still there. The last entry in the category are the cabins at Disney's Fort Wilderness, which also operates a campground. You can truly camp or you can pull up an RV, but the cabins themselves are standalone buildings and are so cute. It's a very unique way to stay, but really can't even be compared to any of Disney's other main hotels because they're just so different. So consider them an outlier, but a very cool option. And then we have deluxe, of which there are plenty. Set around the Magic Kingdom's Bay Lake are the Grand Floridian Polynesian Village Resort and Disney's Contemporary Resort. Grand Floridian is long known as the crown jewel here and has a real old lady grandma vibe that I simply cannot quit. I love it. I don't know why. I just love it. Disney's Polynesian Village Resort is also pure magic with a mix of retro Disney and rethemed updates, while Disney's Contemporary Resort is obviously iconic. That A-frame building with the monorail passing through, the Incredibles-themed rooms they added, which are actually good, the Mary Blair mural, the views, it has this specific smell. I love it entirely. I cannot resist it. All three have boat transportation to Magic Kingdom and monorail access, which connects you to Magic Kingdom and Epcot. But do keep in mind, as much as I love these places, you could pay upwards of five, six, maybe $700 for rooms that are not equivalent to lodging you might expect at that price point. They're nice for Disney, but don't expect a robe to automatically be hanging in the room or toiletries in the shower that aren't bolted to the wall or even a complimentary umbrella to use while it's raining like other comparable high-end hotels. Again, none of these places even have a comforter or a duvet. And no, that sad little blanket in the closet in a bag does not count. A few steps away from here is Disney's Wilderness Lodge, perhaps the most beautiful and kind of the fourth gem in the near Magic Kingdom crown. You'll have boat transportation to Magic Kingdom, but no monorail access, but they make up for it in theming. Because even though all the things I said apply here are about umbrellas and robes and all those things, this hotel is special too. It feels like a national park lodge, honoring the great outdoors with so many special touches that never get old. I love walking the grounds here. It feels so special to return after a day in the parks and is calming and so quaint. They've even got a geyser here. Over by the Epcot Resort area, between deluxe hotels, you're choosing among Disney's Boardwalk Inn, 
which has an Atlantic City kind of vibe that they're slowly stripping away, which breaks my heart. But more preferably to me are Disney's Beach Club and Disney's Yacht Club, which has the best pool of any Disney hotel. They share it. It's called Stormalong Bay. And there's a pirate ship slide that crosses a walkway, a sand bottom pool. It's truly the closest you can get to a mini water park at one of Disney's hotels. Beach, yacht, and boardwalk also have lively nightlife, multiple dining options, nice sit-down restaurants, and beach and yacht also have beaches and cream, a clutch ice cream parlor. Oh, and they're all walking distance to Epcot, and technically walking distance to Disney's Hollywood Studios if it's not brutally hot out, and offer boat transportation to both. And then... On the other side of the spectrum, there's Disney's Animal Kingdom Lodge, which has really no fun transportation to speak of. It's all buses here. But they make up for it with animals. There are animals. There are real animals. Outside your room, depending on room type, you'll see different stuff. But there are animals. I think it's worth every penny because it's the only hotel that turns your hotel room into an attraction of its own. Where else can you be brushing your teeth and walk out of the bathroom and see a giraffe outside your window? It's a totally different vibe since you don't have the convenience of walking to parks or having fun nightlife out just outside your door. But you have giraffes, so we will call it even. Oh, I love that place. There are also some deluxe villa hotels, which are technically that Disney vacation club thing I talked about, but can also be booked by anyone. There's Disney's Saratoga Springs Resort, which is very close to Disney Springs, but so big that I will never recommend it. Disney's Old Key West, which is great for grandparents, has some real chill Florida vibes. Uh, And then there are some annex properties to deluxe hotels we already discussed, like Bay Lake Tower at Disney's Contemporary Resort or standalone swanky cabins at Wilderness Lodge, things like that. There are also sections of each hotel that have these DVC Disney Vacation Club rooms as well as Disney's Riviera Resort, a nicer new tower hotel that's off the Skyliner. Some Disney hotel tips in no specific order. Uh, You can request different rooms before you arrive. You can request location. You can request a lot of different things, so be sure to utilize that to your advantage. Mobile check-in within the Disney World app can save a ton of time upon arrival, as lines to check-in can be long, so be sure to utilize that as well. If you plan to do that, though, and you have a magic band, pack it on the plane. Because I've been in a situation more than once where the app tells me my room number. You can use your phone as a key, which is incredible. But once in a while, it just doesn't work. So having a magic band tied to your account that you can use on the door in case the digital key doesn't work is always helpful. Regardless of where you stay, of where you book, of how much money you spend, the walls here are paper thin. I've heard everything from babies crying all night to kids running down the hallway in one of the nicest rooms at the hotel. So pack earplugs, use a white noise app on your phone, just be prepared for that. Also, pack some wipes and some Lysol spray. Uh, Not to paraphrase Oprah, but these rooms are cleaned, but not always clean. I am not going to tell you what I once found in a trash can in one of my favorite hotels, but it feels like it was something that was pretty hard to miss. Nine times out of ten, you are totally fine. I've probably spent months of my life on property and have minimal horror stories, but it's the luck of the draw, and I like to sprawl out in my room knowing every surface is spick and span clean. If you are planning to drop your stuff at Bell Services when you arrive and head out to the park, if you're staying at a moderate hotel or a larger hotel that I've mentioned, be sure to know what bus stop your room is at or the exact building you are located in. I have spent 
too many nights of my life wandering with my luggage or walking circles around a hotel desperate for help to find my room. And it can be an absolute buzzkill and kind of trip ruiner. When you're tired from traveling, you just got back to the parks, you cannot find your room to save your life, and you just want to go to bed. Speaking of rooms, leave that do not disturb sign on the door, but prepare to possibly be woken up anyway. There was some wacky stuff happening earlier this year where myself and Brooke McDonald and other people were being woken up by knocks either on their door or on doors next to them early in the morning. Uh, it's not, it wasn't 100% sure if it was housekeeping or not, but it was most of the time it was housekeeping and it's worth knowing about. If it wasn't housekeeping, it was for a security check. Once a day, someone will enter your room just for a safety check, just to make sure everything's okay. So if you are in your room, if you happen to be in there during the day, if you happen to be showering, leave your door double locked so there's no miscommunication about if you are currently home or not. Uh, it is my nightmare to be in the shower and have someone come in the room. So I recommend locking the door, leaving the sign out, and just know that will happen once a day if you are in your room the entire day. You can get groceries delivered to your hotel room through third-party companies. There are a lot of resources online for this. Just Google around and you will find it. And if you want to stay at multiple Disney World hotels at once, they actually make it really easy for you. It's called a split stay. So if you wanted to maybe spend three nights at a deluxe hotel and five nights at all-star movies, they will move your luggage between Disney resort hotels for you. You would check out in the morning, give them your bags, tell them everything, and then your bags would be at your next hotel when you arrived there that night. It's super convenient, and it's super fun because that way you get to experience more of Walt Disney World. And as always, be sure to check the Disney World website for discounts and check Disney hotels before you buy tickets in case there are package discounts. That's all I got for you folks. I know we're only kind of scratching the surface and yet I still told you too much information, but I hope that you planning your next Walt Disney World trip is easier and you feel more well-informed. As always, if you have any questions, you can reach out to me on social media. You can call the Churros hotline. You can send us an email at 747churros. We want to hear from you. We want your trip to be as good as it can be. And we hope that this episode has done that. much for listening to our Walt Disney World Guide Guest Bonanza. And I hope you walked away with a stronger grasp on your trip and more knowledge about planning a Disney World vacation than you may have ever wanted or needed to know. You can rate, review, and follow Very Amusing on Apple Podcasts or rate and follow us on Spotify. Uh, we love your we love your ratings. We love the reviews. Keep them coming. Uh, I see all of them and it makes me very happy when I know I'm not just uh, yelling into a mic for my mother to listen to. <laughs> I know people listen. I know people listen. Don't worry. It's just, it's nice to see. It's nice. It's nice to know. It's nice. It's nice to know. It's nice to know my mom isn't signing up for thousands of different accounts and leaving reviews. You know what I mean? It's just nice to know. You can give us a call at 747churros, text us a voice note at that number, or email it to 747churros at gmail.com. I know we are gravely behind on phone calls. I thank you so much for calling them in, and we will get through them in the coming weeks. Uh, we will have... I'm not going to say again, we have some D23 Expo stuff planned for the following week that I don't want to give away yet, but your calls will be answered in the coming weeks. This is the 
only episode, the only full length episode we're going to do where they are not part of it. So I promise this will not happen again. Thank you so much for calling. I will answer them in the future. And I appreciate your patience. You can purchase very amusing merchandise at very-amusing.com. We will be adding kids clothes as soon as I am physically able to add them to the website, probably between this episode and the following one. I'm sorry for the delay. I uh, I didn't have time. I was traveling. I was working on an episode of the whole thing. Uh, but I think they're going to be super cute. Um, I think everyone's kids are going to look cute in them. And I hope you enjoy them. Just little mini-me's. Little pod- baby podcast fans. Maybe they don't understand it, but they know they love it. You can follow me at Carly Wiesel on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And join the family at Facebook.com slash groups slash Carly Wiesel. This episode was edited methodically by Jeff Fox, who emailed me during the course of my many, many, I'm sorry it's coming so late. There's so many things to say. There's so many files uh, in the course of all those emails and told me (laughs) that he used to go to the park with no plans. Jeff Fox went to Disney World with no plans. So as long as this episode convinces Jeff otherwise of his grave mistakes, we've accomplished something here together. Thanks so much for listening. See you real soon. Hey, sweetheart, it's mom. I'm sorry if I sound tired. Yes, it's late again. Um, This was a great episode, and I can't believe how hard you must have worked on this episode. You have great information. There's so much information about everything. It's wonderful. You covered it all. I'm so proud of you. Um, I did go with you to Universal a few times, and I just love it there. I have gone to the Wizard, I think it's the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. I did say it right. And I actually tried out the ones, and they work. It is so cool, but I'm not going to tell you what I saw in case there's kids listening and they want to experience for themselves. The food was great, but the frozen butterbeer, I do have to tell you a story about that. It's so, so good. So I actually told Dad that when I was with you, I don't like bear, but I love the frozen butterbeer. And I said to him, I didn't feel tipsy afterwards, and I thought he was going to fall on the floor cracking up. He was rolled over. So he said, uh, you don't understand. There's no liquor in there. And I was so embarrassed. I had no idea there was no liquor in there. It tasted so, so good. As far as the roller coaster rides, I can't even comment. I've never been on them because I get motion sickness, so I can't. Um, the girl that called in, I think it was Renee from Ohio. Yes, I can relate to her so much because I have never once won on Toy Story, and I would go on like two times in a row every time I go. I love it. I can't beat anyone. I can't even beat Dad, who can't even do it, and he beats me. But you beat me once, I think, by 100,000. I was so angry. I actually get mad when I get off because I, if I don't win, I get very upset. And if I don't even come close, I get upset. But this was a great episode, a lot of work, a lot of hard work, honey. I'll talk to you soon. I love you so much, and I can't wait till next week. Bye, sweetie.